You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but it uh, seems like our world is getting a whole lot more intense. It's escalating in its intensity. And the, the question that we ask is this, is the church, as we the people of the church, we make up the church, church is not a building, but are we escalating our spiritual intensity to match and still communicate to culture, to capture the passions of the next generations. And we've been in a study in the book of James, and, and our culture has just been getting more and more intense. And we noticed this, right? Like, uh, for the past two weeks, people have been predicting who will win the Super Bowl today, right? We've been predicting who will, we got all the sports announcers giving their feedback, the bets are in, the bragging rights are made, and in the end, all of our expectations about what will happen later today are still up in the air. They could, in a sense, be arrogant boasts, or your prediction might have been actually true. But we come face to face with this limitation, and for two weeks, people have been making predictions, but we come face to face with the limitation that no matter how good you are, no matter what kind of analyst you are, we cannot know the future. It's a human limitation, and we come face to face with it, but it doesn't stop us from trying, right? We all try it. So just by way of hands, how many of you are rooting for the Patriots today? How many of you are going for the Seahawks today? How many of you are watching the Puppy Bowl today? Yeah, I'm telling you, I think Vegas fixes the puppy bowl, pays them off, and that thing is done with video editing far ahead of time. I just think, uh, I think the puppy bowl is just, you know, for those who just don't love football so much. But here's what I want you to do today. I don't want us, as we're talking about the future, I want you to cast your mind to the past. And what I want you to do is think about when you were a little kid, a little boy or a little girl, I want you to think about what did you want to be when you grew up? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to nudge your neighbor. Tell them what you wanted to be when you grew up. Go ahead. Talk amongst yourselves. Keep going. All right, how many of you actually became what you wanted to be when you grew up? Anyone around the room? Okay, a number of people. You might want to sit near one of those people. They, they may have something, a little extra there. But um, when I was little, when I was a little boy, I wanted to be one of the most powerful humans on the planet. I did. I wanted like that ultimate power job. And when I was a little boy, I had a bit of a sweet tooth. So to me, the most powerful human on the planet was the donut guy. Because, you know, you go in the donut shop and there's that big glass case. It's like the, you know, it's just amazing for little kids. It's like, oh, and you just like see those donuts. And the, whoever it is, the guy or the lady behind the counter, they have the ability to reach in to the holy of holies and take out that sugary goodness and put it in the pink box of happiness, right? Like that is ultimate power. You don't get more powerful than that. And so as a, as a kid, I thought, man, if, if I ever could have my wish come true, it would be to be the donut man. But plans change, don't they? Our desires change. Circumstances change. Our futures change. If one thing is inevitable, it is change. We serve an unchanging God. 
but the world we live in and the universe we live in is constantly undergoing change. James, who had to change his opinion, he was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He grew up with Jesus Christ, and he basically was not born of God like Jesus was, so therefore he was a half-brother. He was born by natural means from Mary and Joseph having children, and James did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was until Jesus is crucified on the cross, buried dead in the ground, and then rises from the dead and the scriptures say and then he appeared to James and it's at that moment that James believes that Jesus is the Christ that he is God himself that he's the son of the living God almighty God and he puts his faith and trust in Christ at that moment so then he writes a book to people describing who might be skeptics who Jesus was and how does a Christ follower live And in chapter one, he says, we're going to have trials. Life's going to change. Life is relentless. But even in that, God is good. And so he says, you're going to have trials, but persevere. Don't cave in. Don't give in. Persevere under trial so that perseverance will produce the work of character in you that through your trial, you grow in dependence on God's Holy Spirit. And he says, quickly obey the word. Be slow to speak about the word of God, quick to listen to the word of God, and quick to obey the word of God. And then he says, because we're independent people, we love making these judgments in our heads that work themselves out of our life through actions like showing favoritism to people, that we show favor to some people in the church because we want to be winsome to them or we want to get closer to certain people. But in doing so, we also withhold favor from other people. We make an evil judgment and tell them to sit to the side or do other things. And then these evil judgments we make in our head have a way of becoming owned in our heart. And we learn in chapter 3 that the tongue is a tattletale and it tells on your heart. That what we believe in the heart inevitably has a way of working itself out through our tongue, right? And betrays what we really believe on the inside. And James is saying is you and I make these judgments in our head. We own them in our heart and we begin to speak them out of our mouth. And because of that, words are followed by actions, whether good or bad. And so it leads to fights and quarrels because we think that when we've been sinned against, somebody else owes us something and we say, I deserve. And we carry that debt around that has power over us as other people have sinned against us over the years. And if we don't learn to forgive, if we don't learn to cancel the debt, like Christ canceled all of our debt, then that old action, that old sin, that old belief about that person has power over you. And so he's saying, get rid of it. Cancel the debt. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and be free from that. Stop leading to fights and quarrels and thinking what you deserve and turn around to be the kind of person who instead of saying, I deserve, begins to say, I will serve. I will serve his kingdom. I will serve that Lord because he canceled all my debt. I will honor him, and I will love him. And now, James says, when it comes to our future planning, we are self-sufficient, independent people. And he says this, listen, when you and I begin to make plans about the future, we end up forgetting God. We more easily depend on self than on God when we look at the future and our mouth betrays us. Our mouth shows that pride has crept into our hearts 
that expectation has crept into our hearts and that we have forgotten God. So if you have your Bible, open with me to James chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. He says this, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now, I just want to pause on that slide right there. I'm going to reread this verse, but I need your help. When we get to the part that says make money, I want you to all say, make money with me, okay? So, now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, and we will make money. That's right. That's what it's all about. Doesn't we think this way? Verse 14, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we'll live and we'll do this or that. Next slide. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. He's saying, listen, when you make these evil judgments on the inside, and you know that you should quickly obey the word, but you don't, it's as if it's sin for you. When you have arrogant boasts, and your tongue betrays what you believe in your heart, and it leads to fights and quarrels, and you know you shouldn't go down that road, it's sin. And now when you and I make evil judgments about the future and we forget God and we don't depend on the sovereignty of God and put ourselves under submission to his will for our lives, we turn into those who boast arrogantly. And so we need to have a check in our spirit when it looks at the future. There's a couple of things that happen here. There are presumptions. Of the person. When James is writing out to people and they're reading this text, he's saying, listen, there are just natural presumptions of people. And so if you're taking notes today, there's a pattern here and I want you to catch it. The presumptions of the person, the first presumption that they make is the duration of life. We're going to go, we're going to spend a year there. Now, I, I, I don't want to be a pessimist, but I got to say that in a room in a crowd of people this size, you and I would understand that perhaps a year from now, one of us may no longer be around, right? Just by statistics, we might say that. But we all plan like we have many years left, right? We all think in terms of, I've got time. Later on in my life, I'll give my life to the Lord. I don't have to get too serious about all this right now. Why should I escalate the intensity of my spiritual life now in my disciplines with the Lord and my obedience to him and how I live my life? Why should I do that now? Because I must have years. The duration of life that they'll spend a year. That's not guaranteed. The second thing that we become presumptuous about are the events of life. We make presumptions. This is where we're going to go on vacation this year. This is what I plan to do when I retire. We think of what is going to go on. They said, go and carry on business. They thought that's what the events are going to be and what's going to happen. But let me ask, what if they went to such and such a city to carry on business and they had a health crisis? All their business plans might not succeed. They may spend six months of the year in the hospital. We don't know. And last, we become presumptuous about the success of life because we will, help me out here, make money. That's it, right? That's what we would define successful to be. They could go spend a year there, carry on business, and the ships could sink and they could lose all they had. 
But in our speaking, we begin to betray that we are self-sufficient, independent people. And James is reflecting us back to the sovereignty of God. Now, I don't know about you, but back in the day, I grew up uh, going to uh, church, and I'm going to date myself a little bit here. There, there weren't um, at church when I was a little kid. They didn't have like video production and video projectors and, and you know, TVs in the classrooms and things. So when they would tell a story from the Bible, they would basically take these little characters and, and they would put them on flannel graph. How many of you remember what flannel graph was? All right. Flannel graph uh, uh, is amazing. Flannel graph is like a chalkboard, but it's covered in felt. And what would happen is the back of these are a little fuzzy, and so they would take these characters and they'd stick them up on the board, and then they would tell a story, and you could move the characters around. And it's, it's kind of like if you tipped your pool table on the side, you just stick these things right on it and tell your kids a story, okay? It's kind of like that. So there was flannel graph, and, and they would tell these stories. And uh, I don't really have flannel graph, uh, so I'll just use my shirt. So. <laughs> It's kind of like this guy who looks very worshipful. Like he's like, hey, I'm going to go to such and such a city. I'm going to go and I'm going to make money, right? He's very excited. He's just very worshipful. This is so exciting. Great opportunity. But he didn't realize that while he was on the way to that place and on the road to that city is that a large lion jumped out and <laughs> ate him. And, uh, and actually, I probably have to just lie the guy down like this. And, you know, the lions, he's got him. So you become presumptuous about what's gonna happen in the future, about the events of life, we just become presumptuous, right? We just, we don't know what is actually going to happen. And, and I kind of thought, just illustrating this verse that we looked at, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, here's this businessman, he's saying, hey, we're gonna go to, you know, such and such a city, and we're going to make money. But uh, when I raided the uh, Presbyterian Church's um, little flannel graph things that they hadn't used in like 13 or 14 years, uh, I couldn't find any money, but I found the golden calf. So we're just going to use that right now, right? I'm going to go to such and such a town, and I'm going to make money. But what they didn't know is as they were going there, a very low-flying comet came across and just wiped, wiped him out. It was, it was very fast. It just took the guy out. He was, he was dead. Poor guy. Half money was over here, and, you know, the comet went back where it goes. And actually, if you know what this is really supposed to be, I think this was the um, cloud by day and the fire by night. You know what I'm talking about? It was the Exodus, Right. But uh, we become presumptuous about life, don't we? We begin to say, I'm going to do this. This is going to happen. This, these are my plans. And we begin on the inside to become independent of God and his will. But life isn't stagnant. Life changes. In fact, things that were so concrete and seemed for decades true have changed in even just the last 30 years. You know, we used to have the past was the agrarian age, that we would trade commodities and we were an agricultural society. And then the industrial age happened and we began to trade products. What products can we create and how can we trade those in such a way as to make money? And then the information age happened. How can we bring information and information services to people to make their life, their business, everything better, things a little bit more convenient? And if you think about it, 15 years ago, 80% of Americans packed a briefcase to work instead of a lunch bucket, and they headed into a cell phone world instead of a smokestack world, right? Business, industry, those things change. But now it's changed again. We live in an internet age. Change happens, a smartphone age. People know and have so much information, but the ability to apply what they know is where they need guidance. 
It's not so much to give them new information, but rather say, how do we come alongside and help you apply what you know or what you can, in fact, find out on your own? The, the problem for us is that breeds a little bit of self-sufficiency. Do you realize your kids will look to Google? They will go find out answers. They will go to Google at times before they go to a parent. Might be the first generation that does that. They're different than how you and I grew up. Change happens. And the wisdom of the world about how to live is limited by its inability to know what the future requires. And it's interesting. For decades, you were told, after the great stock market crash in the 20s, uh, they were told, this is how you plan to prepare for your retirement. And it's like a three-legged stool. There are three legs that you need on your stool to be able to sit down and, in a sense, enjoy retirement. And the three legs of that stool in terms of financial services were this. Number one, the first leg was social security, that you could basically, you put away your money, it gets taxed all the time, your social security will be there. Secondly, they would say, is your company pension? That your company will put a pension aside that is guaranteed to be there for you. And third is your personal savings. But in 2008, all that collapsed. Why? The stock market fell. And as we look to the future, Social Security and its ability to be there in the future can be at times, according to analysts, questionable at best. That leg gets knocked out. Secondly, instead of pensions that were guaranteed by the business that would still be in business, a lot of the pensions were turned over to 401ks or 403bs, and they were put into IRAs that still are attached to the Dow Jones, its rise and its fall. And so in 2008, when it tanked, you watched your retirement tank, whether it was on paper or in a check in the mail. And the third one is personal savings. Our culture increasingly amasses debt instead of savings. And so all three legs of the stool have been knocked out. But for decades, that was the pattern. That was the financial analysis of how to get ready for your retirement. And things changed. The plans of man kind must change because change is constant. The problem that James is addressing here is that you and I begin to let prideful thinking creep in. And if you're taking notes today, we become indifferent to several things. First of all, we become indifferent to the uncertainty of life. And we should respond according to verse 14 with an urgency in fact, Paul says this in the book of Ephesians, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Yes, the Lord can return at any time, but also in the evil world you live in, as our culture intensifies its evil, as our culture intensifies its greed, as our culture intensifies what people do that they never would have done in terms of morality and the lack of it years ago, Paul says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. What's he saying? As a Christ follower, make the most of every opportunity in the culture you live in because Christ could come back at any time. Live with urgency. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Live with purpose today. So we need to live with urgency. It's ironic, but we know in our heads that we don't know our time that we could, we could pass away at any time, we could get in an accident, we could have a health crisis, the Lord could return. We know that cognitively. 
but we believe that we're going to live for a long time. And it's so interesting. There's a story in uh, the Los Angeles Fire Department. They had the most famous thrill show high jumper in the 20s. His name was Harry Lewis Tree. And this guy held several world records. He could jump off really high ladders they put up, and he'd be able to jump and land and almost parkour or jump into water or even off of tall buildings. And he had world records for being the one who could do the most intense, you know, jumps. Ironically, though, he was killed on March 21st, 1929, in a fall of only a few feet off the running board of truck four when it turned on the corner of Beverly and Western in Los Angeles. The high jumper, the guy who seems invincible, holds world records, thinks he's going to live forever, takes a corner too sharp, falls off the running board, falls on the ground, dies. You know, it's interesting. We become indifferent. We go, we know we could die at any time. And our culture right now says, well, since I don't know about the future, since I don't know if I'm going to get married, since I don't know about what the future holds, since I don't know about if I'll be around to see my retirement, since I don't know, we live with an indifference. We're, we're indifferent to the uncertainties of life. And so we began to live for now. And the problem with that is in a sex-saturated society, the Journal of American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry said this, girls who become sexually active before the age 16 experienced significantly more symptoms of de depression, were more pessimistic about their future. They're just, you know, they're indifferent. Like, well, pff, they're just more pessimistic about future. Then, and did more poorly in school than their sexually inactive peers. And the same is true of people who find themselves hooked on pornography. That in a sex-saturated society, we begin to live with indifference. Well, I don't know if it'll do it, so I'm, I might even sabotage the future. Maybe it's my future health. Maybe it's my future ability to really connect with and stick with another person because of where I am. Maybe it's our mental health that we sacrifice, struggling with some depression, struggling with just some isolation. People lose confidence. And when they lose confidence, they begin to lose hope and contentment. That, that's just out of reach, right? Instead, though, James is saying Christ followers live with purpose. We live with a sense of urgency because purpose leads to urgency. That we say, I'm living on purpose. I'm living in these ways, not just simply out of some blind obedience or religious obligation, but in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, I give this book more claim on my life because there is purpose to my life as a follower in the kingdom of God. We need an urgency. The second area we become indifferent to life is we become indifferent to the will of God. And our response should be flexibility. We should be flexible people. How many of you have ever wondered, how do I know I'm in the will of God? You ever wondered that? Come on, by show of hands. Anyone around the room just wondered like, how do I know I'm in the will of God? Well, it's good because God's word tells us when we're in the will of God. What does the will of God look like? And if you're going to take notes, and these will not be on the screen, but if you're going to take notes and, and, and write these down here real quick, I'll tell you what they are. They all begin with the letter S. There's five of them. The first one is it's God's will that you and I be saved. Secondly, spirit-filled. We have God's Holy Spirit in us. We begin to walk with the Spirit. Third, that we be sanctified. Sanctified means I'm set apart to live a holy life. So I'm not who I was. I'm now being set apart with purpose, right? To live as a, in the kingdom of God. Third, that we submit. We submit to the word. We submit to the authorities that God puts in life over us. We submit to one another out of love and reverence for Christ. And that we suffer. Some of you are like, 
wait, Dave, I think you said suffer. I did. Did you know it's God's will that you and I share in the sufferings of Christ? That there will be times where we're persecuted. There will be times that life is relentless, but we turn to God. There will be times that you and I experience suffering and that God is in that. Sometimes we think suffering means God's absent, like suffering's hard, so you must have left me. And instead he's going, no, suffering's part of life. It's, I'm sorry, but it's part of the deal. Christ wasn't exempt for it, from it, but he did and endured it out of love for who? For us. In the same way, we're not exempt for it, but we do wander through it with the power of God for who? For him. It's part of God's will. And then if you want to add one extra, if you want to add a sixth, it's say thanks. That we are encouraged to give thanks in what kind of circumstances? Right, all, all circumstances. So we say thanks. Why? Because we're flexible. But what happens when we're self-sufficient and we're prideful when we make these boasts about our future plans? We become indifferent to the will of God. So basically, we need to plan for the future. But we need to make allowance for God's will to come along and change those plans. In other words, we'd say, Lord willing, we're going to go and do this and spend a year there and make money. But it's under the sovereignty of Almighty God. And it becomes a constant reminder to us of our submission to Him. It, it, since it verbally diffuses our expectation that we're owed something. God, I did this with my business. We took this risk and I just thought you were going to be for us. And then it didn't work out and apparently you weren't for us is what we do. No, it verbally, as I say Lord willing, it's verbally reminding me that I'm not owed something that I later around turn my finger at God and say, I deserve this and you didn't meet my need. When we say Lord willing, it's not for the benefit of others. It's not so they're like, ooh, what did you mean by that? No, when we say Lord willing, I am verbally coaching my independent, sometimes prideful, self-sufficient spirit that I should not forget God in the plans of the future because people will not be with us forever. Our life doesn't live forever, but that we serve a king who offers us eternal life where things will never perish or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. I'm verbally coaching myself. What are other ways to say it? You might say, if God allows, we will do such and such. You might say to your kids, hey kids, listen, you know how your kids accuse you of changing the plan and that you lied? You lied. You said we were going to do this. No, we need to be flexible, right? It might be helpful for you as parent. Hey, kids, this is a plan, not a promise. Big difference, right? We, we're going to be flexible with our plans. It may not, you know, but you, you may even want to coach your kids in that. The Lord willing, these things will happen. If they don't, it's okay. We are flexible people. We say, if it is the Lord's will. You know, I once heard it said that with God, we ought to take a pencil and we ought to break it in half and make our plans with the pencil end, but give God the eraser end. As we do the work, as we plan, we're going to plan and do all the work like it's up to us. We have to carry our part of the deal, don't we? We don't just sit back and go, okay, Lord, whatever your will is, just let it happen to me. And then you never date, you never fill out a job application, you never go get your health checked, right? Dumb. 
God wouldn't be there, hey, stupid, you know, you have limitations. Don't be, God's not saying that. What God is saying is, listen, he's saying, do work like it's up to you, but pray knowing it's up to God. You fulfill your part. And at the same time, you submit those plans under the authority and the lordship of God and the uncertainties of the life in which we live. Have you ever heard the statement, you know, it was a picture-perfect moment, right? It was a Kodak moment. You ever heard that phrase, it was a Kodak moment? Well, why do they say that? Why do they say it's a Kodak moment? Right, because Kodak made film, right? That's why they said it was a Kodak moment. And it was that moment that you were like, that was just like perfect. Everything came together. It was like a snapshot, like click, and you go get it developed, and you go get your double prints at Costco, right? Well, for a hundred years, Kodak was the developer of film. It was a stable, stable company for a hundred years. And when digital photography started to come on the scene, Kodak made a five-year plan to transition from print film to digital. The problem was that the industry and the consumers changed over in three years. That two-year hesitation cost Kodak from being one of the predominant businesses. It largely put them out of the photography business. You're more likely to find a Kodak printer than you are a Kodak camera. Things change. Life changes. We need to submit our plans to the Lord. When I first arrived here six years ago, um, somebody gave me a little vial of dirt. And that vial of dirt was dirt from the land that Sungrove owned. And, and all along, since the day that Sungrove bought the land, the plan was, we want someday to build a church like this on the land. It would be so great to be able to do that. But it's so interesting as we followed the Lord's lead, as we followed the will of God, we began to see that that was not God's plan for the land. Oh, the, plan, the land was going to be valuable and it was going to be used and necessary but that's not what God had in mind because we had no idea that God was building a gold's gym that he really was building to be a church that we were going to be able to leverage in a short amount of time with a minimal amount of debt. And we didn't have $40 million to build on the land that we owned. In fact, we sold it. It became so valuable in the infrastructure of what we do here at Sun Grove Church. Plans changed. That vial of dirt was not a vial of cement. It stands as a witness that God says, plan. I've provided this land and be flexible with how we leverage it because God's plans are gonna open our eyes and change. And so as a church, our plans are flexible under God's sovereignty and the leadership of the Lord. So we're gonna be faith-filled people. We are gonna be risk-takers who do not insult God with small dreams and very small vision but we're going to do the work as if it's up to us, but we ultimately will pray because we know it's all up to him in the first place. And we are going to be flexible people. That's what the kingdom of God is called to be. The disciples always wanted to make things permanent. God, when you become king, I'm going to sit next to you. God, this transfiguration happens and there's Moses and there's Elijah. Should we build some houses? And God's saying, plan but be flexible because my kingdom looks really different than the independent, self-sufficient people who love to run their futures with the limitations of life. Not only that, but we become indifferent to the limitations of life in verse 16. It's interesting that our response should be humility. We become presumptuous 
about life. Presumption, though, breeds a false sense of security. I just assume it's going to happen, and lo and behold, maybe it's going to happen, and we just think there's a false sense of security because when the carpet gets pulled out, we realize that that, in fact, may not be what was going to happen, and we begin to boast instead of showing humility. Verbal arrogance that causes you and I to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. But that's not what God intends. That instead of being indifferent, well, yeah, I know life has limitations, but big deal. Instead of being indifferent, we should be humble under the limitations. And if the Lord allows for this ministry to continue, if the Lord allows for us to live and breathe and work and make money in this area, if the Lord allows as we raise our kids this way, if the Lord allows for my parents to continue living, if the Lord allows, if we begin to remind ourselves and verbally coach ourselves that we are under his ultimate sovereignty, then we can truly make our life count. The last thing we become indifferent to are the standards of life. And our response should be obedience. The world and its standards are always going to change. The world and its morals are always going to change. The world and its advice is always going to change. But the word of God stands forever. And God calls us to be sanctified, to be set apart, that we should set apart to be holy. And God is calling us to a new life and new freedoms in that. And so our response should be obedient. The difference is having a knowledge. We know what we're to do, but we don't do it. And James says that's false religion in chapter 1. And he's saying that we begin to follow and in humility submit ourselves to the standard of the word of God. We walk in obedience. So what do we do? We depend on God. God, you have to meet our needs. We're going to work like it's up to us, but ultimately it's you. I'm going to depend on you. God, you're going to carry me through the trial. God, your Holy Spirit is going to come along and help me as I begin to train my tongue to speak words of life instead of words of death. God, I want to obey your word, and so I'm going to get in your word and not just pray to you and then never pick up your word back to me. But I'm going to get in my word and and, then I depend on your Holy Spirit to speak to me from the word of God. That when someone owes me something, when a debt has incurred and they have sinned against me, that I will work to cancel the debt and God, you will come along and bring forgiveness that every time that issue comes up and that person comes up and what they owe me comes up, I cancel it and I cancel it and I cancel it again and I'm free from their power over me. And in my future plans... I'm going to depend on you, God, for the future. It keeps us from saying, I deserve. And it makes us say, I'm willing to serve. I will serve your kingdom instead of building my own. So often we get caught up building our own kingdom. We build up the kingdom of me. And God's saying, you're a mist. Our life's a vapor. Live with urgency, live with flexibility, live with humility, live with obedience, and you will be free people. I mean, can you imagine what a different person you would be if life were to change and as you're following the Lord, if life would change and you don't freak out like you used to? You're not like in such a panic and trying to self-sufficiently fix it all yourself because life changed. Because you're depending on the Lord and you're working like it's up to you. You're filling out the applications. You're putting the deposits down. You're doing what you need to do. But ultimately, God is in control. Could you imagine if you came upon a health crisis and the plan for the future changed? 
When my dad died of pancreatic cancer, he was 56 years old. He never saw his retirement. He never tasted his portfolio. He never retired. He graduated into his highly exalted state and position kept in heaven with his God. But when he was in the hospital, he pulled all three, my two brothers and myself, into the room and he said, guys, God doesn't make mistakes. Man, I'm sitting there looking, going, this looks like a mistake. I mean, not to be contrary, Dad, but this stinks. And we have to submit ourselves to the Lord and the changes of life. Otherwise, left to self-sufficiently, we would shake our fists at God and say, you owe me. You owe me for my dad to be there when my kids get married. You owe me for, and I could just make the list go on huge, right? Not my will be done, but yours. Because I live with a sense of urgency like my dad did, but I also live with a sense of flexibility like he did, and I want to live with humility like he did and submit myself in obedience to God. I mean, could you imagine if you lose something that you were owed and you cancel the debt, what a free person you would be instead of carrying that for longer. If you're in God's waiting room in your life right now, that you entrust the future to him, you're doing the work you need to do, but you're like, I'm in your waiting room right right now, God. And God's like, it's a waiting room. It's a gap time. It's a season. It's okay. Continue to walk with me with humility and flexibility and obedience and urgency for my kingdom while you're in the waiting room. You might be single. Your singleness is opportunity to serve the Lord uniquely while you wait on the Lord. You might be in a health crisis and your time out in life is an opportunity for you uniquely to be used by God in environments where you would not go unless you had a health crisis. With doctors you would not see unless you had a health crisis with people that you would not meet in the waiting room. It's opportunity. You live your life with urgency and purpose and flexibility and obedience. Today, you get the opportunity to watch the Super Bowl and you have the opportunity to take God's Holy Spirit into whatever party you go to and it becomes a better party because you carry God's Holy Spirit there. Will you live with urgency? You might not see next year's Super Bowl. I might not see next year's Super Bowl. But will you live with urgency today? Perhaps for you today, you just realize, I don't know Jesus. I've never submitted my life to Christ. I've never said yes to him. And today is the day. I don't guarantee that I have tomorrow. I don't know that I can get my life together in the future. Today is the day, right as I am, in the mess I am, to say yes to Jesus And if you will bow your heads and close your eyes all around the room, no one distracting anybody else. But if today is the day of salvation for you, then you simply surrender your life. You can do that by praying a prayer to God like this. You just repeat it after me right in the seat where you're seated. He hears you. You can just say it in your heart. Say, Jesus, today I'm saying yes to you. I ask you to come into my life and become the Lord of my life. I believe like James came to believe that you were crucified, that you were dead and buried, and that on the third day you rose to life, that you are God. 
And I ask you to make me, God, please, a new creation. Change my heart. I surrender, and I say yes to you. If you just prayed that prayer, would you just raise up your hand? Anywhere around the room that today is the day you just finally said, I give in, I surrender. It's my Super Bowl Sunday right here on the middle row. I've got a friend who wants to give you some information. Anywhere else around the room, hold your hand up long enough. I've got some friends with information. They'll find you if you're holding your hand up. That's awesome. Greatest decision you could ever make. So, so good. It's the manliest decision you can make if you're a man. It's the most feminine, womanly decision you can make if you're a woman. It's just a good decision. Sun Grove Church, where you give it up for what God is doing among us. That's good, good stuff. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.